Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. I'm flying solo for today's episode, which is brought to you by Betstamp the world's first verified buy-sell marketplace for sports betting picks. I have three parts for you today. In part one, I'll review our win over Cremonese on Sunday. In part two, I'll review our latest Primavera match, which was against Bologna on Sunday as well. And in part three, I'll very quickly preview our match against Ajax on Wednesday. So let's begin with the 4-1 win over Cremonese. That scoreline does not reflect how this match went. It was more akin to Inter's 2-1 win over Sassuolo this round for anyone who watched that match on Saturday. Inter took a 1-0 lead into the break, they conceded the equalizer somewhat early in the second half, and were under a lot of pressure from the home side, but Inter scored the winner around the 75th minute. Similarly, we took a 1-0 lead into the break after Javicha Karaschelia won a penalty kick and Matteo Politano converted it. We conceded the equalizer early in the second half, albeit much earlier in the second half than Inter did. That was Cyril Dessert's first ever goal in Serie A. And then Giovanni Simeone scored the winner around the 75th minute. The third and fourth goals from Lozano and Oliveira, respectfully, were not scored until the final three minutes of stoppage time, so we still had to suffer like Inter did, which is a credit to Cremonese. As I said in my preview, Cremonese is better than their record suggests, and they showed that in this match. This was very nearly one of those matches where, judging by the final stat line, we absolutely dominated, but didn't get the three points. We had 21 shot attempts to Cremonese's 10, 
10 shots on target to Cremonese's 1, we had 70% possession of the ball to Cremonese's 30, and we had 555 completed passes to Cremonese's 184. Three quarters into the match, I started to prepare myself psychologically for another really disappointing result. I started thinking about how I can't keep defending a team for dominating a team they should beat, but not actually beating them. I started thinking about some of the poor decisions we made in the match, like Anguisa going for a goal instead of passing Traspadori or Politano, who probably would have scored, or Politano taking a free kick. At what point do we finally let Cavada take the free kicks from dangerous positions? Thankfully, instead of Andrea Patania coming off the bench, we have Giovanni Simeone, who seems to have a knack for scoring big goals. We'll cover all of that in this review, and we'll revisit our three keys to the match, but first, let's review the starting lineups. Despite what he said in his pre-match conference, Max Alvini stuck to the 4-2-3-1 formation that he used against Lecce, Jonut Radu started in goal, Luca Loshoshvili and Matteo Bianchetti started at centre-back, Giacomo Quagliata played at left-back and Leonardo Cernicola played at right-back, Suelio Miete and Santiago Ascasibar played in the double pivot, with Davido Carecchi not fully fit, Emanuele Valeri moved higher up the pitch to play on the left wing, while Luca Zanimacchia remained on the right wing. Felix Afenegian got his first start of the season playing in the number 10, so that was a bit of a surprise from Alvini, and Cyril Dessers started at striker. For Napoli, Luciano Spalletti rotated far less than most people were expecting for a match against a club down at the bottom of the table. He lined up in his usual 4-3-3 formation with Alex Meret in goal. I was expecting Leo Ostegaard to start at centre-back, but Spalletti stuck with his top centre-back pairing of Kim Minje and Amir Rachmani. Ostegaard did feature for the final 10 minutes or so after Rachmani left the match with an injury. I'll provide an update on Rachmani at the end of part 1. Mario Rui started over Matthias Oliveira at left-back, so technically that was a change to the squad, but Mario Rui is a regular starter, so it didn't really feel like a change, and of course, Giovanni Di Lorenzo played at right-back. In the midfield, Spalletti went with the three players we were expecting. Stanislav Lobotka started as the regista, with Tangi Ndombele to his left and Andre Frank Zambo and Gisa to his right. Ndombele started over Piotr Zielinski, who was taken out of the Ajax match at the half with a calf injury. Zielinski did come on as a substitute for the final 17 minutes of the match, so that was a good sign. Javicho Kvaraskhelia recovered from the knock he picked up against Ajax, so he started on the left wing. With Lozano playing the full 90 minutes against Ajax, Matteo Politano started on the right wing. That was Spalletti's third change. Finally, Giacomo Raspadori started again at striker. So those were the starting lineups. Next, let's revisit our three keys to the match. My first two keys to the match were pretty similar, so I'll address both of them together. The first was that we needed to make sure that we didn't look too far ahead, in other words, we needed to stay focused on the task at hand, and the second key to the match was to not be fooled by Cremonese's record, given the very difficult run of fixtures they've had to start the season. I think Spalletti and his squad achieved these goals. With the squad that Spalletti selected, he showed why he's the coach of Napoli, and the rest of us are not. Most Napoli fans, myself included, were expecting a lot of rotation to the squad. I had five changes in my predicted starting 11. In addition to Mario Rui, Ndombele, and Lozano, I was expecting Ostegaard and Simeone to start. 
A lot of Napoli fans I spoke to online were expecting the same. Some Napoli fans wanted to see Sidigu start over Meret. Some wanted to see Cavada get a rest. And for good reason. He took a heavy blow in the Ajax match. And they wanted him fresh for the return leg. I'll explain why in part 3. But I'd be very happy if Cavada did not play against Ajax in the return leg. So Spalletti started a much stronger side than most of us were expecting, which for me is proof that he was in fact focused on this match, and that he was not in fact underestimating his opponent. Let's not forget, Spalletti rotated heavily for the match against Lecce, and we dropped points. He is well aware of Napoli's struggles against lower ranked clubs. He knew that if we didn't get a result here, all the talk would have been about how Napoli can't win the Scudetto if they can't consistently beat clubs like Spezia, Empoli, Lecce and Cremonese. Also, as excited as people are about the Champions League, this match in my estimation was far more important than the return leg against Ajax on Wednesday. If we dropped points to Cremonese, the mentality of this squad would have been called into question, but a loss to Ajax on Wednesday doesn't really change a whole lot. We can still win the group by winning the return legs against Rangers and Liverpool. Now obviously it won't be easy to beat Liverpool at Anfield. That's easily the most difficult match of the group. But even if we don't win the group, does it really make that big of a difference? Yes, we'll have a more difficult draw, but no one was realistically expecting us to win the Champions League. For me, getting out of the group stage was the goal. At some point, you're going to run into a super club whether it's the round of 16 or the quarterfinals. Really, the only difference is the revenue we would earn from playing an additional match. And don't get me wrong, I'm not downplaying the importance of that. If you've listened to this pod for a while, you know how important I think that is. However, if I had to choose between dropping points to Cremonese and foregoing 15-20 million euros or whatever the quarterfinal game is worth... At this stage in the season, I would forego the revenue to make sure we beat Cremonese. That's my opinion at least, you're more than welcome to disagree with that. My third key to the match was that we had to break down the low block and I think Spalletti managed to do that as well. There were two to three things in particular that seemed to work well. The first was the run by Cavada across the back line. We saw him do that a few times, including on the play that led to the penalty kick. That was really interesting to see because I thought Ser Nicola did as good of a job as you can defending Cavada on Napoli's left wing. But by giving Cavada the freedom to roam, Spalletti forced Cremonese to defend him on both sides of the area and that worked out quite well. Cavada drew yet another penalty kick. We've had six penalty kicks in all competitions which is the most of any club in the top five leagues in Europe and he's drawn half of them. Both penalty kicks in Serie A and one of the four in the Champions League. Now I must admit, at first glance, I thought it was a bit of a soft call. I think this was one of those decisions where, no matter what decision was made on the field, VAR was not going to change it. And I can't help but wonder if, perhaps subconsciously, Rosario Abiso felt more inclined to award the penalty than not award it after he made the block of the season on one of our set pieces about 10 minutes prior. But looking at the VAR review, it seemed like Bianchetti's trailing leg just barely clipped Cavada's left foot, so there was enough contact there to uphold the decision. At the same time, had the penalty not been given, I don't think I would have felt terribly hard done by. In any event, Matteo Politano stepped up and converted the penalty quite confidently. He is clearly the designated penalty taker, at least when Zielinski is not on the pitch. 
That was his fourth goal in all competitions, three of which have come from the spots. Curiously, all three penalties that Cavada won have been converted by Politano. Now, the fact that Spalletti started Cavada was itself a way to beat the low block. Many people were expecting Cavada to rest after the knock he took in the Ajax match, but in hindsight, it made sense to play him. The whole point of the low block is to take away the space for the pass. The reason that tactic is so effective against Napoli is because we are so dependent on passing the ball. We rarely score goals from moments of brilliance. Our goals tend to be well worked. We string together a lot of passes in the buildup. So when the space is taken away, it's very useful to have a player like Cavada who likes to take on defenders and is very capable of beating them. Again, it was Cavada's dribble that created the first goal. The other way we beat the low block was so obvious that I didn't even think of it, and that's to score from a set piece. That's how Giovanni Simeone scored the second, Mario Rui played the deep cross to the second post, that was already Mario Rui's fourth assist of the season to go along with an assist for Portugal during the international break. But that finish by Simeone was simply unbelievable. I immediately thought two things when I saw that goal. First, I wondered how high he got compared to Cristiano Ronaldo's header for Juventus because it was a very similar leap both in terms of height and hang time. And the second thing I thought of was how great it is to have a pure number 9 who has both the size and the finishing ability to score a goal like that. Now obviously we have Victor who's certainly capable of scoring a header like that, we saw that last season, but he's not built like a typical number 9. He lacks strength and he's a bit clumsy on the ball, but he makes up for that with his pace and movement. But this goal made me think back to the days where we were hopelessly crossing the ball to Mertens, Insigne, and Callejon in the area. Now we have target men, including two center backs, not just one like when we had Koulibaly, who are legitimate threats in the air on set pieces. That was the 3,500th goal for Napoli in club history, making us the 7th Serie A club to achieve that milestone. Shout out to friend of the pod, Sasha Pizzani, for tagging us in a post about that. Now, I mentioned previously that Simeone is quickly becoming one of my favorite players. I think most Napoli fans would say the same thing. His reaction after the goal just sums up perfectly how happy he is to be at Napoli. Now, Victor Osimhen completed the full group training on Monday, so he appears ready to return. I've been thinking about this more since I asked Vincenzo about it on our Ajax review pod, that is, how do we integrate all three strikers? And I think I have a clearer picture now. First, Victor is your starting striker, there is no question about that. As good as Raspadori and Simeone have been playing, no player has a greater impact on a match than Osimhen does. However, with matches every three days, Osimhen can't play every single game. Don't forget, in January we have the Coppa Italia starting, so we could be competing in three competitions all at once. So when Osimhen is given a rest, I think Raspadori will start. Raspadori also provides tactical flexibility both as a replacement for Osimhen or as a complement to Osimhen. As we saw in this match, Instead of replacing Raspadori with Simeone, Spalletti removed Ndombele and dropped Raspadori into the number 10. We've also seen Spalletti make a similar shift of Raspadori to the left wing. And now, after this match, I'm convinced that Simeone's role for this season is super sub. He's the guy you bring off the bench when you need a goal. 
He may not get as many minutes as the other two strikers, but he doesn't seem to mind. He's just happy to be there and to contribute in any way he can. In other words, he has the perfect mentality for that role. He's simply too good for tired defenders to stop, and that's why Spalletti keeps on saying that he doesn't think of his players as starters or substitutes. They're all important, and sometimes, like in this match, the substitutes are more important than the starters. Speaking of substitutes, Lozano and Oliveira each scored their first goal of the campaign in stoppage time. For Oliveira, it was his first goal in a Napoli shirt as well. 14 different players have now scored for Napoli this season, and it could well have been 15 had Rachmani's shot not crashed off the frame of the goal. I think it's only a matter of time for Amir, because he is very good in the air on set pieces. As Spalletti said after the match, the Lozano goal belongs to Cavara. He made an excellent first touch to control the ball from Simeone, which was also a beautiful pass. It was very mature of Cavada to pass that ball to Lozano. He easily could have gone for goal himself there. And five or six games ago, he might have actually gone for goal. That said, and even though it was just a tap-in, sometimes that's all it takes to get a player going. Not that goal scoring has been an issue for this team, but it would be great for Lozano to start scoring as well. Like Simeone, Di Lorenzo played a gorgeous ball on the final goal, but credit to Oliveira for putting his body on the line there. I think a lot of players would have backed off for fear of getting hurt, especially when you're up 3-1 in the dying seconds of the match. So it wasn't easy, but we ultimately got the three points, and there were three points that we might not have gotten in previous seasons. Before I close part one, I'll provide a quick update on Amir Rachmani's injury. He suffered the injury while clearing the ball out for a corner kick. His left knee appeared to get caught on the turf while he stretched to clear that ball, causing him to hyperextend. The initial report from the club was that Rachmani left the match with a muscle strain in his left thigh. Further tests confirmed that on Tuesday, according to the club, Rachmani suffered a lesion of the adductor longus tendon in his left thigh. The statement didn't say the grade of the strain, but all indications are that he will be out until the World Cup break, which means he won't play again in 2022. We're about a month away from the start of the break. Unfortunately, because of the World Cup, we play nine matches before then, three in the Champions League and six in Serie A. The Champions League matches may not be a huge deal. Hopefully, we can secure our place in the knockout stage on Wednesday. If we get lucky and Liverpool drop points in one of their next two matches, then we can rotate heavily for the final match of the group stage against Liverpool. We're probably going to need Juan Jesus to play a few games as well. Now it seems like Leo Ostegaard will be the next man up to play for Rachmani, but we're probably going to need Juan Jesus to play a few games as well. We have a fairly difficult stretch of matches in Serie A before the World Cup. After Bologna, we play against Roma, who are hot on our tails, but looks like they will be without Dybala for a while. Then we play Sassuolo, who have always been a difficult opponent for us. That match is followed by Atalanta, who have been running side by side with us up until this round. After Atalanta, we have Empoli, who, like Sassuolo, have been a very difficult team to play against since they earned promotion back up to Serie A. And finally, we close 2022 with a match against Udinese, who have had an amazing start to the season under Andrea Sotil. That'll do for part one. In part two, we'll review our latest Primavera match.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to part two of the Fortsonopoly podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Betstamp. With the Betstamp app, you can compare betting lines across multiple different sportsbooks in your region, which is the only way to get an edge in online sports betting. You can also buy and sell picks from verified accounts, and best of all, the app is free. There are no fees, no royalties, and no commissions. Just download the Betstamp app and be sure to use referral code NAPOLI when you create your account. Alright, next let's review our latest Primavera match, which was against Bologna on Sunday morning. Bologna came into this match sitting 8th in the table with a record of 3 wins, 1 draw, and 2 losses. They were tied with Sassuolo on 7 points, but Sassuolo had a slightly better goal differential, and they were 4 points back of Juventus and Fiorentina at the top of the table. However, all of those points were earned in the opening 4 matches of the season. Bologna were coming off consecutive defeats to 4th place Frosinone and 9th placed Milan. They lost both of those matches 3-0. We hadn't fared much better, in fact we had fared much worse. We came into this match having lost 7 consecutive matches in all competitions, 4 in the Primavera Uno and 3 in the UEFA Youth League. Perhaps that is why we went out and signed Jorge Alastue, who is a promising product of the Barcelona youth system. If you want to learn more about his playing style and development at Barcelona, head over to the Primavera page at ForzaNapoliPress.com. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Nicolo Frustalupi went with the same squad that he fielded against Cagliari after rotating nearly the entire squad for the midweek fixture against Ajax. He lined up in his usual 3-4-2-1 formation with Valerio Bofelli in goal. Daniel Hisai, Benedetto Barba, and Nosa Oberettin played as the back three. Francesco Gioielli and Gennaro Iaccarino started in the center of the midfield with Davide Acampa on the left and Lamina Nyingue on the right. Finally, Pasquale Maranzino and Antonio Spavone played as the two trequartisti behind Leonardo Rossi up top. Meanwhile, Bologna lined up in a 3-5-2 formation with Nicola Bagnolini in goal. Mattia Motoleze, Kevin Mercier, and Riccardo Stivanello started in the back three. Tommaso Corazza started at left wing back, and Kale Walius started at right wing back. Nicolas Paitia started in the center of the midfield, with Jafar Bino to his left and Kasper Urbanski to his right. Finally, Andrea Mazia and Kasper Pananin played as the dual strikers. So those were the starting lineups, next let's get to the match. Napoli got off to a great start, with our first big chance only 3 minutes in. Bino played a wayward pass back straight into the path of Rossi. The Napoli forward tried to pick the bottom corner and would have beaten Bagnolini, but his shot hit the outside of the goal. Fortunately, Napoli opened the scoring only 3 minutes later. The goal started with Spavona winning a free kick on the right side of the midfield. I don't know how Bologna were not cautioned because both Motoleza and Bino were very clearly grabbing a handful of Spavone's shirt just before the foul was called. Yaccarino took the free kick and played a deep, in-swinging cross into the area. 
Oberettin managed to get a knee on the ball to beat Bagnolini. That was Oberettin's second goal of the season, so only six minutes into the match, Napoli were already ahead 1-0. It was only the second time this season that we've scored the first goal. Rossi got another quality chance just past the midway point of the first half. The chance was beautifully worked with Lamine slipping the ball through to Spavone, who came back to lay the ball off to Iacarino. He played a first-time ball over the top to Rossi, who was clear on goal, but once again his shot towards the near post missed the target. The Azzurini had another excellent chance at the half-hour mark after Acampa played a long throw-in into the area. Rossi did really well to win the ball, turn and slip the ball through to Spavone at the edge of the 6-yard box. Spavone tried to pick the far corner but his low shot rolled just wide of the goal. Meanwhile, Napoli did really well to limit Bologna to shots from distance. Pananin had a couple of speculative efforts from outside the area, one that missed the target and another that was straight at Bofelli. Paitia took a powerful shot with his left from the edge of the area but it was straight at Bofelli in the center of the goal. Bino also had a go-for-goal from distance, but his shot was always rising. Bologna's best chance in the half came in the 37th minute when Mazia teed up Corazza for the volley, but he did not connect well and the shot finished high and wide. So though Napoli could have been up more, we took a very positive 1-0 lead into the break. Bologna's best chance thus far came just before the hour mark. Corazza played an in-swinging cross from the left wing. Substitute Gennaro Anatriello got ahead on the ball with his back to goal. The ball looped towards the goal but bounced off the top of the bar and stayed out. That was a key point in the match because moments later, Napoli won a penalty kick. The play started with Oberettin clearing the danger before Gioielli dribbled out of the back. He sprung Maranzino and Napoli pushed forward in numbers. Maranzino pushed the ball forward to Rossi who carried to the edge of the area before squaring the ball back to Gioielli. The midfielder played the extra pass to Maranzino in the area. He faked the shot with his right and cut to his left to get past Corazza. Maranzino went for goal with his left and the shot was blocked by the arm of Motoleze, so Napoli were awarded a penalty kick. Iacarino stepped up and placed a perfect shot into the top corner. Bagnolini guessed correctly, but the ball was so well struck that it just could not be stopped. That was his third goal of the season and three were scored from the penalty spot. The Azzurini added a third a couple minutes later after Gioielli forced a turnover in the Bologna half. This was another really well-worked goal. Spavone touched the ball to Rossi, he played it wide to Lamine. Meanwhile, Gioielli continued his run to the second post. Lamine picked out his run with a low ball played across the face of the goal, so Gioielli only had to tap the ball in from a few feet away. That was his third goal in our last five matches. It seemed like the match was over, but Bologna were immediately given an opportunity to get back into the match after Anatriello was fouled in the area. Anatriello definitely made an impact off the bench. He started the play by dispossessing Maranzino in the Napoli half. A few passes later, he stepped in front of Gioielli to receive the pass from Paitia to draw the foul. Anatriello took the penalty himself but he could not beat Bofelli. The shot was accurate enough to beat Bofelli, who guessed correctly, but it lacked the power. 
That save just about secured the three points for Napoli, so Frustalupi used the opportunity to play some of his newest players. With 20 minutes remaining, he replaced Lamina with Landry Boni and Spavone with Alastui, who made his Napoli debut. I thought he had a really strong debut. He made a really nice tackle on Mazia just on the left edge of the area. He made a couple of nice passes in tight spaces, and he started the break off a Bologna free kick. He also made a couple of important clearances in the area. Now this was definitely a match where the bounces were going our way. Moments after those changes, we were fortunate to not concede another penalty kick. Antonio Raimondo, who I was surprised started on the bench considering he's one of Bologna's best players, but maybe they rested him thinking they were playing against one of the teams at the bottom of the table. He played a looping chip pass to Anatrello in the area. Acampa tried to clear the danger and appeared to kick through the leg of Anatrello in the process, but the penalty wasn't given and in the end, we held on for a comfortable 3-0 victory. That was Bologna's third successive 3-0 defeat, so they've been outscored 9-0 over their last three matches. Meanwhile, we finally ended our losing streak after losing four straight in the Primavera Uno and seven straight in all competitions. This was a big result both for Napoli and for Frustalupi. Not that I've heard any rumors that his job was on the line, but you have to think that that leash was getting shorter. I imagine the club gave him a bit of extra leeway, knowing that they did not adequately replace the players who departed in the summer, and that he's had to compete in two competitions with very little depth in the squad. With the win, we moved up two positions in the table. Udinese remained at the bottom of the table on one point after losing to Sassuolo. We overtook Inter and Cesena, who lost to Roma and Atalanta respectively. We're also level with Sampdoria on six points after they lost to Juventus, and we're just one point back of Atalanta and Hellas Verona, who won their respective matches. Obviously, there's a long way to go, so at this stage, the goal is just to collect as many points as possible. The Azzurini will be back in action on Wednesday to play against Ajax in the return leg of the Youth League. I'm hoping that Frustalupi rotates heavily again, so our regular starters are fresh for our match against Torino next round. That will do for part 2. In part 3, we'll quickly preview the senior team's return leg against Ajax in the Champions League. Okay, round 2. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to part 3 of the Fortsanopoly podcast. If you like the show, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash pod. It's entirely voluntary, there are no set tiers, but it does help us to continue to produce content both on the podcast and at fortsanoplypress.com. Okay, so let's close the pod with a very quick preview of our Champions League match against Ajax on Wednesday. In case you missed it, Napoli won the first leg 6-1, so Ajax will be eager to exact their revenge. That was Ajax's fourth consecutive match without a win in all competitions. They lost 2-1 to Liverpool in the second round of the group stage, then they lost 2-1 to Azed Alkmaar before drawing against go-ahead Eagles in the Eredivisie, and then they lost to us in the Champions League. 
However, Ajax got back on track on Saturday with a 4-2 win over FC Volendam. Now, Volendam are currently bottom of the table in the Eredivisie, but that could be exactly what Ajax needed. Nevertheless, that win was enough to keep Ajax only one point behind Alkmaar in the Eredivisie. What was really interesting was that Alfred Schroeder played the exact same squad who got thumped by Napoli in the last round of the Champions League. I thought that was a great show of confidence in his players, and considering the opponent, it was probably a calculated risk. Now, he will have to do without at least one of those players for this match. Dusan Tadic is suspended after he was shown two yellow cards in the first leg. Devin Wrench is also out with a groin injury, but Jorge Sanchez returns from injury and will likely start in his place. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Luciano Spalletti will line up in his usual 4-3-3 formation with Alex Meret in goal. With Amir Rachmani hurt, I think we'll see Leo Ostegaard start alongside Kim Min-jae at centre-back. Even though Mario Rui started against Cremonese on Sunday, I think he will remain in the squad for this one. And of course, Giovanni Di Lorenzo will play at right-back. Tanguy Ndombele gave Piotr Zielinski a rest on Sunday, so I think we will see our core midfield for this match. That's Stanislav Lobotka as the regista with Zielinski to his left and Andre Frank Zambon Gisa to his right. I'm expecting a couple of changes up top. My bold prediction is that Eli Felmas is going to start over Kvica Kvaraschelia on the left wing. I'm basing that on the fact that Kavada played the full match on Sunday and didn't stop running. He looked completely gassed in stoppage time after he made that long run before teeing up the Lozano goal. That was the longest he's played for us in a single match. He played 90 minutes against Rangers, but he did not play the stoppage time in that match. Also, Ajax were pretty rough on him in the first meeting. They very nearly injured Kavada, so I'm looking to the club to give him a bit of protection here. On the right wing, we've basically been alternating between Politano and Lozano lately. Since Politano played from the first minute against Cremonese, I think Lozano will play from the first minute in this one. Finally, I think Spalletti will continue to use Raspadori as his starting number 9 and Simeone as his super sub. Now, Victor Osimen is expected to be in the squad, but I'd be shocked if they threw him straight into the starting 11. I think at best he'll get 10 to 15 minutes off the bench depending on the score. For Ajax, I think we're going to see a similar squad compared to the one that Alfred Schroeder fielded in the first leg, but with a few shifting parts. I'm expecting a 4-3-3 with Remco Pazvir in goal. Interestingly, against Volendam, Schroeder played Calvin Bassi at left back and Daly Blind at center back, whereas their roles were reversed against us. When he was asked about this in his pre-match conference, Schroeder said it depends on the opponent, However, considering the result of the first leg, I suspect Schroeder is going to keep Bassi on the left and Blind in the middle for this one. I think we'll see Urien Timber again on the right side of the centre-back pairing. We won't see Devin Wrench at right-back. He picked up a groin injury. However, Jorge Sanchez has recovered from a knee injury, so he is expected to start at right-back. Now, the front six is difficult to predict because Ajax have a bunch of players who can play on either side. I don't watch the Eta Divisie, so I could be completely off base with this lineup, but I'm expecting a bunch of shifting parts. And it all stems from the fact that Dusan Tadic is suspended for this match, which Ajax fans will probably be happy about. They were not too fond of Tadic even before he got two yellow cards in the first leg, let alone after that. 
But with Tadic out, I think Steven Berghus will play on the right wing instead of as the right-sided attacking midfielder. Kenneth Taylor can play on either side of the midfield, so I think he will shift into Berghus's position, which then allows Steven Bergvine to play as the left-sided attacking midfielder. All of that frees up the left wing for Lucas Ocampos, which is his natural position. That's one way to do it. Alternatively, everyone can stay in their usual positions, and Ocampos can simply play on the right wing. The remaining positions are the Regista and the Striker, which I think will be filled by Edson Alvarez and Mohamed Kudus, respectively. So those are our starting lineups. Next, let's get to our three keys to the match. My first key to the match is that we need to weather the early storm, which is not something you would typically expect of the home side. By that I mean typically the onus is on the home side to take the initiative and be the aggressor since they have the home crowd behind them. The away team usually tries to weather the storm in the opening 10, 15, 20 minutes, and once the home crowd has settled down, then the away team tries to impose themselves. However, the circumstances are very different for this match. Even though we want to win this match, as that gives us the best chance to win the group, all we need is a point to guarantee that we advance from the group stage. One point would put us on 10 points and leave Ajax on 4 points. Even if we lost both of the remaining matches and Ajax won both of theirs, we'd be tied on 6 points but we have the head-to-head advantage. In theory, Ajax could still get through if they draw this match, but they would need Liverpool to draw points in at least 2 of their 3 remaining matches, which seems highly unlikely. Obviously, they don't want to be depending on Liverpool to draw points, even if they're having a really rough season, so for Ajax, this is very close to being a must-win match. At the very least, it is a must-not-lose. So for that reason, I think Ajax is going to be the aggressor. One way to take the home crowd out of the match is to defend until they settle down. Another is to score an early goal. Finally, Ajax will be eager to get back at us after such a lopsided defeat in Amsterdam. No team likes to be embarrassed like that. So for those reasons, I think we might need to weather the early storm. My second key to the match is to match the physicality of Ajax. Initially, this key was going to be to watch out for the physicality of Ajax, but those of you who've played will know that the best way to get injured is to try to not get injured. That may seem counterintuitive, but it's true. If you play scared, or if you're timid in your tackles, you're far more likely to get hurt. We need to match Ajax's physicality with physicality. Note, I'm not saying to play dirty, but I do want to see us play with Grinta. Now, I don't expect guys like Zielinski to be the tough guys, but we have plenty of strong players in this team. Kim, Ostegaard, Di Lorenzo, Mario Rui, and Gisa, and even Raspadori is pretty tough. That's another reason to start Elmas, not to say that Cavada isn't tough, I think he is, but Elmas has that fire in him that I think will be very useful in this match. My final key to the match is to continue to move quickly on and off the ball. That's something we've done really well so far this season, especially in the Champions League, so I'm not asking for anything new here, but if we are to believe what Schroeder said in his pre-match conference, Ajax are going to play their game and they are going to press us on the ball. That could be a problem with Ostegaard at the back. I doubt that he is as good on the ball as Rachmani is. Rachmani is very cool on the ball. 
He should also be careful passing the ball back to the keeper. We had a bunch of nervous moments in that match in Amsterdam. It's great to see that the players have enough confidence in Medet to pass the ball back to him in the first place, but that is still a risky play. The key for Medet is to get rid of the ball right away. If there's an open pass, then fine, take it. But if there's not a pass, kick the ball long, and if you don't have time, kick it straight out to touch. Just don't try to dribble past any pressing Ajax players. And the same goes for our defenders. Leave the dribbling to Lobotka, Zielinski, and Ngisa. Now, Schroeder did say, we always want to press high, even if we have to lower ourselves a little bit. So there was that little qualifier, but that doesn't really make much sense to me. Either you press high or you don't. Surely he does not mean that they will only press with their attacking players and keep the midfielders and the defenders low. That would stretch themselves too much, which means more space in the midfield, which means our midfielders are going to feast. For the press to work, you have to stay compact, meaning there should only be about 20 to 25 meters between the forwards and the defenders, and everyone has to press collectively. Now what Schroeder might have meant is that Ajax are going to play in a mid-block, meaning when Napoli have the ball, they are going to concede Napoli's half. They're basically going to wait for Napoli to bring the ball to midfield and then press. Then it comes down to Napoli's ambitions. If Napoli are happy enough with a draw, then the mid-block is rather easy to beat. We just keep our defenders inside our own half and pass the ball around the back. Eventually, Ajax will have to play higher up if they want the ball, which they will because they want to win, and then we can pass through them. I can see us taking that now I can see us taking that approach in the first half, in which case the first half under might be a good bet here, and as always, you can find the best lines in your region on the Betstamp app. If Napoli want to win, then we're back to our third key, which is to move quickly on and off the ball which includes making quick passes, to beat the press in the mid-block. For my prediction, I'm going to go with a 2-1 Napoli win, and I'll give the goals to Raspadori and Zielinski for Napoli, and Bergvine for Ajax. As prolific as Napoli have been this season, I'm not expecting another high-scoring affair. At the risk of looking like a complete fool, which I'm totally fine with, it certainly wouldn't be the first time, but I think the first half is going to be very tentative and low-scoring, I think the second half is where the goals are going to come. At some point, at least one of these sides, if not both of them, are going to go for it, and then the game will open up. Personally, I don't really like any of the lines for this game, but if I were to bet on my predicted outcome, I'd be sure to find the best odds in my region using the Betstamp app. I can get Napoli on the money line at minus 175 at CoolBet, and I can get the total to go under 3.5 goals for minus 133 at North Star. But again, I'm never hugely confident betting the under in a Napoli match. So that will do for this preview. I hope you enjoy the match. That will also do for this episode. If you like what you heard, please share it with a friend and leave us a rating or a review on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore D5. And you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Patreon at Forza Napoli Pod. I will be back in a few days to review this match, but until then, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli sempre!
Sports Social Podcast Network.